Technology is moving rapidly, especially when it comes to taxes. With advancements in AI and machine learning, we are seeing technology being utilized in every corner of the tax world. From policy to filing, from accounting to compliance, technology is truly shaping the future of taxes. How are companies utilizing technology to comply their innovations with the tax code? And how can policymakers use technology to advance tax laws that support an evolving economy? Hello, and welcome to The Deduction, a Tax Foundation podcast. My name is Jesse Solis, Communications Manager here at the Tax Foundation. Over the next couple episodes, we have a fun mini-series planned for you all. We're going to be looking at the interplay between tax policy and technology. In the first part of this series, we're going to be looking at what organizations are already doing when it comes to using tax to comply with the tax code, but more importantly, why they're doing it. For the first half of this discussion, we are joined today by Ben Allery. He is CEO of BlueJay. He's going to discuss how the private sector is utilizing technology to make life easier for taxpayers. We're also joined by a familiar voice here for our regular listeners, Mr. Garrett Watson. He's a senior policy analyst at the Tax Foundation. And he's going to kind of give us an under-the-hood look at how we here in the tax modeling community use text to help advance the tax policy debate. So Garrett and Ben, welcome. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Jesse. Of course. So I always learn a lot on these episodes, uh, even from colleagues I sit next to all day long. I'm always learning something new here on The Deduction. Uh, so now with two guests, I feel like I'm going to just, I'm really excited to see where this conversation goes. It's fun being around experts. But I'm really here more to kind of just keep our train on the tracks. I'm going to let you two kind of lead our conversation um, and see just kind of where it goes. Uh, so Ben, you are CEO of a group called Blue Jay. I mean, I'll let you do a little more explaining of what that your company is, but for our listeners, Blue Jay Quote is on a mission to simplify research and analysis. Law is only getting more and more complex. It's time for better tools for legal analysis. So tell us exactly what that means and how Blue Jay is kind of doing that. Sure. I mean, Blue Jay comes out of my academic work. I've been a tax law professor here at the University of Toronto since 2004, right from the outset of my career. Um, but I really about seven years ago, became absolutely convinced that uh, technology is going to contribute significantly to making tax law more certain, predictable, and fair. And I have a personal conviction that good fences make for good neighbors. And I kind of think of taxpayers and, and governments as neighbors in that way. And if we can make tax law certain, predictable, and fair using technology, I think it's it's to everyone's advantage. And so. It really is this idea that among technologies, artificial intelligence and machine learning are extremely well suited to give taxpayers that predictability and certainty that they crave and, and for governments to protect the tax base and to um, create laws that, that are capable of being interpreted consistently and reliably. And so Blue Jay is a startup company, um, but now we're several years into our journey and it's, it's really exciting what we're doing. We've been working for the past several years in producing tools that contribute <laughs> to clarity and certainty for U.S. federal income tax law. I'm happy to elaborate on that. I'm sure the, the conversation will get into that. Um, but that's, that's where we're at. We have offices um, in New York and Washington, D.C., and we're headquartered here in Toronto. And uh, we're a quick-growing company, and we, we're really delighted to be part of this podcast with you all today. It's always fun talking to entrepreneurial companies that are still like on the ground running as fast as they can to get the work out there. That's great. Now, Garrett, at TF, we, we often talk about policy with one another and on this podcast, but there is a lot of technology that goes into our work 
So can you kind of explain how technology has helped the think tank community to help lawmakers advance the tax policy debate? Yeah, I think in tax policy specifically, one big advance, I think over the last 10 years or so, but even stretching back even longer has been uh, leveraging modeling tools to determine the various trade-offs of various tax policy changes. So very much like uh, what was just discussed about uh, the legal field and all the complexity and uncertainty that surrounds businesses that are trying to navigate uh, the law, there's a lot of uncertainty and and lack of clarity for policymakers uh, and other taxpayers and other folks about what tax policy changes may mean for them, what it may mean for federal revenue, the economy, the distribution of incomes, the various things we care about when we think about tax policy proposals at the the policy level. And what we've done, uh, in addition to several others in this space, is leverage tools to be able to give quantitative estimates uh, as to what those trade-offs may entail. Uh, So we've used uh, a, a, a tax model that can produce estimates of how any given change will impact the economy, will impact taxpayers, uh, by using basically a giant uh, TurboTax is one way to think about it, which uh, takes uh, an, an anonymized uh, taxpayer information, a sample of it, to determine how a tax policy change may impact uh, the economy writ large. And we've also leveraged publicly available data to effectively simulate what will happen to the economy uh, under various assumptions. And, and while it gets quite complicated in the details, communication is still a really important part of it. An important part of technology, both for tax foundation and I'm sure for Blue Jay too, is uh, being able to make sure any uh, solution is understandable and legible for everyday users who are looking to to solve concrete problems in their lives. And that's an important part of the story whenever we talk about the role of technology and, and its applications uh, to everyday folks. So if we were to kind of take a tax law through its journey, a lawmaker proposes a policy. We here at the Tax Foundation will take that policy. We run it through our model to say what its economic outcome would be. Hopefully, if we're doing our work right, you know, it helps influence debate of whether it's good or bad policy. Uh, but then it's up to policymakers to decide how to implement it or when to implement it. That happens. But there's a lot of work that needs to be done for not taxpayers just to follow the law, but to comply with it. And if it is something that's supposed to be advantageous, uh, you know, take advantage of it. So, Ben, wh- what's uh, your process or how are you guys using technology for tax compliance and administration? What's Blue Jay doing to help? your clients and those people in the private sector just comply with the tax code, which seems to be like an ever-changing thing. Yeah, it's, it really is an ever-changing thing. What, one, of, uh, one of the insights behind what, what we're doing at BlueJay is that machine learning and artificial intelligence are fundamentally prediction technologies. Tax compliance and tax interpretation by taxpayers, by their advisors, is also fundamentally a prediction game because you're trying to predict what does what does the tax law as it's written actually require of us in in our complex messy real life circumstances what is tax law requiring of us as as taxpayers to do how do i comply how do i best comply given you know my situation and and how i'm going to want to optimize my tax situation and so the, the predictability from machine learning and the predictability of this this taxpayer's task, which is how do I comply with with the tax law as it's written? Um, they really come together because what we do at Blue Jay is we take uh, the existing um, statutory materials, so the Internal Revenue Code, all the regs, we take all of the the court decisions, uh, revenue rulings, uh, and we train our models to replicate uh, how tax law has in the past been interpreted and applied to given tax situations. And then we create machine learning models that allow individual taxpayers, their advisors to get predictions 
uh, about how a, a new set of facts and circumstances would be decided uh, in a given uh, area of tax law. And so this is actually hugely helpful in getting predictability, certainty, and fairness in, in like these messy situations that might otherwise be very mm -hmm. difficult to analyze. I, I think we're going to get uh, into this in a little bit. Uh, in a little bit, but one example that's really available um, and, and salient is worker classification. So if I'm a small business, I'm looking to hire uh, someone and I, I want them to work fairly casually for me. It's not going to be a full-time like regular employment gig, but there, you know, there's some um, aspects of it that I, I'm going to want to control the work that the worker's doing. Um, I'm going to be afraid that if I hire this person as an independent contractor, the IRS may disagree and say, no, this worker's actually an employee with all that that entails in terms of a compliance burden. And, and so it's, I'm in a tough spot because getting certainty about that is, is going to be very, very um, challenging for me. I mean, if you Google this, you'll end up on mm -hmm. one of the IRS's pages. Um, they talk about, I'm, I'm looking at it right now uh, on my screen, they, they get into here are the common law rules and they're broken down into behavioral factors and financial factors and the type of the relationship. And then they say, if it's still unclear whether a worker is an employee or an independent contractor, guess what? You can file a form SS8 and you can get a ruling, but be aware that it may take six months or longer to get that ruling from the IRS uh, based on the facts and circumstances. And this is just one example. If you use the Blue Jay worker classification tool, um, you can get a 94 or 95% accurate prediction based on the messiness of the different factors you have in mind for that working relationship. And importantly, if it's not going the way to, the way that you want it, if you want your worker to be characterized as an independent contractor, you can play with the different factors and see just what would it take to, to get this worker to be characterized as an independent contractor and satisfy yourself without having to wait six months for an answer or longer um, from the IRS and, and go through the cost and the burden of, of filling out all these forms. So that's how Blue Jay um, is helping in a really mm -hmm. concrete way. But we have dozens of these um, tools throughout the platform that are helping taxpayers make the law certain, predictable, and fair. And so it sounds like a pretty big just ecosystem has been created due to tax law, yeah? Absolutely. I mean, like, look, look at the fact that there's a tax court. The tax court's docket is jam-packed with cases. There's so much tax litigation. Of course, that's just the very tip of the iceberg, right? For every case that ends up um, going to, to tax court, there are probably 100 tax disputes that don't get anywhere near um, the tax court. And then if you work it all the way back, of course, to the front lines of the original advice, um, the you know, tax administration, tax compliance is a huge um, burden on everyone in society uh, where everyone's dealing with it. So yes, tax litigation creates these artifacts that we're able to mine for insight into what tax law requires. But of course, it's, it's omnipresent. It's kind of, it's, it's hanging over all of us every day. And Garrett, so we've here at Tax Nation used technology to help advance this debate. But what kind of challenges still persist? You know, we've been writing tax laws for hundreds of years. Microsoft Excel definitely wasn't around in the 1700s. And you know, Python wasn't around in the 1800s. You know, so what, what challenges are we kind of still facing as Tax Nation or the Congressional Budget Office as we use technology to help with this debate? Yeah, I think there's actually a really comparable sort of market niche as it relates to our work um, that was just outlined um, in Blue Jay's work, which is that similar to uh, clients in the private sector who are dealing with uncertainty and often long delays for decisions about uh, the status of various business decisions uh, with respect to their tax situation or worker classification problems. There is also uncertainty and delays for getting uh, revenue uh, estimates from 
uh, the official scorekeepers in Congress, right? Policymakers and their staff uh, at that level uh, have a lot of ideas uh, to turn maybe, maybe their campaign promises, maybe their big ideas that they wanted to take uh, when they were elected uh, and convert that into bill text. And they really want to understand what are the trade-offs? You know, if you have an idea that's going to reduce federal revenue, it's going to change the distribution of taxes, really important to get those numbers right. And uh, unfortunately, because CBO and JCT are dealing with a lot of demands on their time, that can take a long time, similar to the way that the tax courts, uh, when it comes to administration and dealing with uh, with legal uncertainty, are also overwhelmed. What that means is we are have a similar niche where we are trying to help um, not just policymakers and staff, but also the media, everyday taxpayers understand in a much more sort of dynamic and quick fashion what these various trade-offs are using commonly accepted best practices in modeling. And, and of course, with that comes, I think, uh, some long-standing challenges on Communication, right? Uh, no modeling sits in the abstract. No modeling tells a story on its own. It has to be paired with good, solid analysis, right? And the assumptions have to be made really clear. And you uh, have to support that modeling with all of the work that we're doing here at the Tax Foundation so that folks can put those results in context. And uh, that, that's really important that none of this exists in a vacuum. But that doesn't mean that there's opportunities, I think, in the future to continue to work with, of course, the official scorekeepers because they still serve a really important role here. And ensuring that in a world that's increasingly partisan and politicizing everything, that we maintain credibility and and good faith uh, work in this modeling, because that's what it's really meant to do, right? Is provide at least one layer of uh, accountability for where where we're determining what the trade offs are when thinking about any policy, and that's something we take really seriously here at, at Tax Foundation. Yeah, and so in theory, lawmakers pass laws to provide for the common good. So you know, every tax law that comes to the books, there in theory is a good intent behind it. But Ben, can you kind of talk us through some examples maybe of where there's like a well-intended policy, but administering it or having to comply with it almost takes away its benefits for the workers or for the company? Oh, gosh. I mean, you can, you, we, we, could, we could be here uh, for the rest of the afternoon, I think, just talking about these examples. We have so much experience with these uh, at Blue Jay. We already talked a little bit about worker classification. This is a, a classic line drawing exercise. Um, but virtually every tax policy is going to involve these kinds of definitional questions. Is something a this or a that? Is it income or is it capital? Um, is it is it uh, you know debt versus equity is another example that comes up all the time. Um, does the economic substance doctrine apply or not to this transaction? You come up with you know you hire some really super clever advisors and they've come up with some unexpected uh, you know, collection of tax provisions that they're going to you know, navigate themselves through. And it comes out with a, a really nice looking tax result for the taxpayer. You know, is this is this the place where the economic substance doctrine is going to apply or not? And of course, so let, let's talk about the economic substance doctrine. Right. So this is something that uh, was created by the courts um, for the longest time and, and it was left as a judicial anti avoidance rule um, and, and the courts kept developing it over the years. And then, then it was codified um, a number of years ago. And the hope was that this codification would serve to make more clear when and where the economic substance doctrine is going to apply. We had some, some split amongst the circuits about how the economic substance doctrine was, was being interpreted and applied. And is it objective? Is it subjective? Like, and and it, was, it was felt like it was serving a useful purpose, but it wasn't clear enough to provide that predictability and fairness for taxpayers. And so efforts were made to codify it. Of course, 
even the codification now has led to even further questions and interpretations about the, the codification of the economic substance doctrine. There are hundreds and hundreds of these cases involving the economic substance doctrine. Um, at Blue Jay, what we've done is we've collected the hundreds of economic substance doctrine cases, um, pinned down the key facts and circumstances that courts are attending to when they are doing an economic substance doctrine analysis. Uh, and then where we've created a tool that will interview a tax advisor, a taxpayer on behalf of a taxpayer. Usually our users are um, pretty sophisticated tax attorneys, really sophisticated tax CPAs who are, are, are doing really deep analysis into whether the economic substance doctrine would apply. Um, but we, we elicit from them the key facts and circumstances of the particular tax transaction or tax plan uh, at issue. And by asking, you know, two dozen to three dozen questions about the situation, we'll have enough data from them to be able to make a really great prediction about whether a court, if they, if a court agreed with all of those um, characterizations of the facts and circumstances with whether or not um, the, the economic substance doctrine would apply to that particular taxpayer's situation. And, and we're getting this right uh, with 96% accuracy, which is really, really high compared to um, the attitude of a lot of taxpayers and their advisors, which is, well, the economic substance doctrine can be a bit of a, a wild card, a bit of a crapshoot. You don't know if it's really going to apply or not. It's, people have said it's a smell test um, and it's, it's difficult to predict. In actuality, if you, if you do the work and you really focus on the facts and circumstances of the situation and you assiduously go through all of the existing case law and you build a machine learning model on top of that, um, you can actually get a really good answer from leveraging all of this technology. And it's something that we really pride ourselves in doing and making a, a really accurate machine learning model um, of this. And so um, how users use this, they log into BlueJay, they answer these questions. That's not the end of the story because what it invites is a back and forth between the user and the system and the case law and revenue rulings in order to figure out, okay, what would be coloring inside the lines and what would be coloring outside the lines here with respect to the economic substance doctrine. And so they can calibrate the tax plan to, to take on just the right amount of um, task risk for that particular taxpayer. And so it's really the, the super sophisticated uh, attorneys and CPAs who are using our system to get insight into it. But that's just another example, right? So we talked about worker classification, talked about economic substance doctrine, um, there are dozens of these things throughout tax law where there are these known unknowns that have been litigated to death. We can use uh, the results of those litigated to death questions to to give really good guidance to taxpayers in future cases. And especially working with representative governments and democracies, there's always going to be just a new Congress in play, always a new president. Laws are always going to change. So that's, you know, it seems like that work is going to be vital for a while. Now, Garrett, is, is compliance something we can even model? Is that something that we can, you know, as we're looking into policies that lawmakers are proposing, is kind of all that extra legwork something that we can factor into it? Or is the technology just at this point, we can kind of only see what its economic outcome is going to be? Well, I think compliance is still going to be a really important part of the discussion, uh, even if it's just because something's not quantifiable uh, on, on all levels does not mean that it's uh, it's not important, right? And I think that's an important part of the compliance discussion is, as economists, right, it's it's easy to talk in the abstract about various ideas uh, that might sound great, but if it does introduce com uh, unneeded compliance costs or complexity for taxpayers, that's a very real uh, issue, right? And so that's 
a challenge. One example on, on our end of the work is just one example that's come up a lot, right, is the various incentives that are built in the tax code to uh, incentivize research and development, most notably the, the R&D tax credit uh, here in the United States, which uh, is meant to encourage uh, additional R&D to be done domestically to help with innovation, help with growth, also help with great power competition uh, most recently. But it does come with a lot of unique and challenging compliance costs, right? Uh, something as simple as determining uh, what incremental R&D is eligible for businesses is actually quite challenging. Tracking all of that from a compliance perspective is challenging. Interpreting any regs uh, as it relates to specific types of activity that may or may not be inclusive of uh, or captured within the R&D tax credit and eligible uh, is challenging. And what that means from a compliance perspective is that often it is the uh, larger firms that have the resources and have the the sophisticated tax teams to determine all of this are the ones that tend to benefit the most. Now, the nuance there, of course, is large corporations are the ones that often do a lot of the R&D, but that is a missed opportunity, right? For smaller firms, startups who may not otherwise be able to claim this credit that is meant to incentivize uh, the activity. And of course, a lot of innovative activities, uh, some of the most impactful things we've seen over the past 20 years and beyond have come from small startups. So it's it, it's important that we capture that and include that in any holistic analysis of the tax code. There are various tools out there on the policy side that try to get at this, at least in terms of the language that's being used, obviously, some folks have trained, for example, machine learning to understand the impactfulness of regulation. That's an interesting example. And that could be extended or modified to apply specifically to tax in the future. So that's something we're going to follow very closely because that could um, eventually become helpful for us as we try to understand the quantitative and qualitative impacts of compliance costs on taxpayers. All right, welcome back. We're going to continue this conversation with our section we call Myths and Misconceptions. So we've been talking a lot about this. There is just a lot out there. This is a really complex subject. But Ben, what's one just myth when it comes to, you know, the tax code or using technology to comply with it that people might believe right now? Well, I think one thing that I've bumped up against that that I find to be a bit of a a head scratcher is that um, some tax people really think that AI is kind of out to get them or that machine learning is is going to step in and kind of replace them. I've, I've been in conversation with folks at some of the big four accounting firms and, and they, you know, early in the conversation, they joke, well, you know, for now, I, I still have a job, but, you know, Blue Jay is going to come and get my job. And that, that to me is always a, a really, really baffling misconception because it really is the more sophisticated tax practitioners who really want who really demand access to the very best tools and want the best information to guide their advice. And so it's not about, you know, technology substituting for a professional's expertise. It's really about the very best experts wanting to leverage the very best tools to up their game and make sure that they're not missing anything uh, and to, to mine that huge body of information that's available. Because no matter how clever you are, how well-read you are, you will not have read everything in the past. and and so tools like BlueJake, leveraging machine learning and AI can help you um, get access to stuff that you might not otherwise have come across, and it'll just make you better. And so I think that's my number one myth or myth misconception, which is um, 
folks tend to have this uncertainty. And I think it's it's born out of, um, you know, Hollywood, right? So we <laughs> see movies um, with, with technology and, and painting a dystopian view of the future. That's That couldn't be more at odds with, with my optimistic view of the future. I'm glad you brought that up. I was actually going to joke earlier, are you, are you ever afraid that your technology will get so good that replaces the need for lawyers? But you, you addressed that for me. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Garrett, how about you? What's, uh, when it comes to like our end of the spectrum here what's what's one myth out there that you want to tackle yeah i think one one misconception or challenge um when it comes to tax modeling uh and this is particularly for folks who are you know looking at this material and trying to make sense of it is that it provides in and of itself all of the answers and i, th- I think that is, is challenging just because it's true that tax modeling is a really important tool and input in providing a really deep understanding of you know the quantitative trade-offs uh, and qualitative trade-offs of various tax policy changes, right? So you may have a tax policy that uh, raises a lot of revenue, but has an economic drag to it, or may make the distribution uh, of income a bit different than what it is now, uh, more or less progressive. But a key insight that that's in, needed in addition to that information, that information is necessary, but not necessarily sufficient for determining what to do next from a policy perspective, is you also have to ha- understand how to put relative weights on each of those trade-offs, right? How do we think about the trade-off of raising more revenue for government services and programs versus uh, the lost growth we may end up having because of that new financing source. That's why it's really important on our end. We are big proponents of the importance of economic growth. And I think making that case, the moral case, right, the, um, the, the bigger picture vision for why growth is really important and why uh, that should be prioritized, uh, at least near the top of the list, uh, even though it comes to trade-offs, is really important for folks because then it, it it marries this quantitative information that's really important with the story that people need to latch onto from a policy perspective to uh, to understand uh, what to do next. And you know, it's uh, some people summarize this by saying, you know, tax policy is also about values, and I think that's really um, a good way of putting it. It's, it's sometimes a conflict of visions. And the good thing about the modeling and the technology is it gives us numbers and facts to root ourselves in, right? Uh, it's much easier to talk about differences in uh, policy values and and, and vision um, when you have a shared set of numbers than if you don't even agree with, with what trade-offs we're even talking about. So I think that's a really important part of the conversation and something we're emphasizing in our efforts uh, more and more uh, in addition to all the numbers that we're doing that we're throwing out there. No, I think you summed up there too, kind of a, a key takeaway that I've definitely learned from this conversation that you know good tax policy doesn't always lead to the easiest compliance, and we need to think about the economics of that. As we're modeling, as we're, you know, helping or, you know, as lawmakers are drafting tax laws, that there is consequences and trade-offs for, for everything, even with the best intentions in mind. And so, Ben, what, what would you say, kind of just as we're wrapping up here, the biggest challenges ahead in your space in the tax world that maybe they're addressed today or next year or five years from now? What do you think are kind of just the biggest challenges that you and your clients and company are going to be looking at going forward? Yeah, maybe maybe I'll I'll take this in in three different parts. Um, something about the product, something about our people, and then and then if folks want to keep tabs on what Blue Jay is doing in the years ahead, where they can where they can keep an eye on us. So um, on the people side, we we just hired Ben Willis, who is really well known for his his column that he he had for years in in tax notes called Willis Ways In. Um, so so Ben's Ben Willis is working with us as our director for U.S. Tax. Um, He's, he's helping us to steer the product direction. Um, and we just hired uh, another um, another person from the IRS uh, who's been a branch chief until recently in, in corporate um, at the IRS. She's starting with us next week. So really excited about um, new people 
Uh, in terms of the product, we are working on our diagramming solution. So one of the things that, that we've learned is uh, when folks are interacting with BlueJay, they want to describe a very often very complex situation. The best way to communicate that is by drawing a picture. And sometimes these pictures are, are really complex, especially when you get into corporate tax, M&A sort of stuff. Uh, and so we've built diagramming tools that are going to interact with our machine learning and AI backend and help taxpayers to really optimize those tax plans. And so I'm really excited about that on the product front. In terms of how to keep track of what BlueJay is up to, uh, we've got a monthly column in tax notes called BlueJay Predicts, where we take apart um, either a pending appeal or a case that's just been filed um, with the tax court. And we, we basically unpack it statistically using machine learning and AI. And so if, if folks want to follow the BlueJay story, I invite them to to take a look at that, that column. They all get um, posted um, publicly. They become publicly available after a few weeks after they appear in tax notes, so um, no charge there. Uh, and if folks want to learn more, I'd, I'd invite them to go to, to bluej.com. It's B-L-U-E-J, just the letter J.com, and they can learn a whole lot more about BlueJay. I think you guys are all doing very important work. That's something we're going to be keeping tabs on, and I hope others do as well. Uh, Garrett, what's coming up here next at the Tax Foundation? Of course, here on the federal team, we have been closely monitoring any uh, federal tax developments that have been happening on the Hill this summer. Uh, and that's taken some twists and turns, uh, of course, over the last uh, few weeks. But we are continuing to to monitor that closely because we think that could have a big impacts on uh, on taxpayers if it, if um, the bill of better discussions are revived. In addition to that, we are expecting continued discussion on uh, incentives on research and development and innovation uh, on the Hill. And that's something that we are Continue to uh, to monitor and explore, and particularly the status of being able to uh, fully and immediately deduct R and D expenses, which uh, switched over to five year amortization this year. That might be included in this discussion. We'll see. Uh, as well, of course, turning to near the end of the year, we have a lot of uh, discussions about tax extenders and sort of end of year tax items that we're we're wrapping up. The, and the other thing, uh, in cooperation with our global team, is we're still watching the. You know what's going on in the OECD. Uh, there's a lot of tax discussions happening there. A lot of technical things going on there, particularly on the corporate side. That's going to keep us really busy. And we have a few uh, exciting, I think, modeling uh, projects coming up, including uh, some efforts to try to make our model more uh, broadly accessible to to folks, be able to to see with their own eyes how the how the model is working. So excited to provide uh, more details in the future, and uh, I'm sure it'll be an exciting time in uh, in modeling over the next coming months. It really is a busy time for the tax policy world. And I appreciate both of you so much for taking the time to come here today, have this discussion about the interplay between technology and tax policy. Ben, Garrett, thank you. Hope you both have a good day. Thanks, Jesse. Thank you. The Deduction is produced by Dan Carbajal. To learn more about the Tax Foundation and the Deduction, visit us online at taxfoundation.org slash podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn at Tax Foundation as well as on Twitter at DeductionPod. Thank you, and we'll see you next time on The Deduction.